Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. We live in a culture that is riddled with social and ideological landmines. Have you noticed this? One false step and we'll, you'll get blown to pieces. One wrong word, get you mobbed, literally or virtually. And for anyone that is not captive to the reigning worldview or dares to speak from an alternate philosophical or theological or social or ethnic or economic perspective, you run the risk of getting barred, banned, or blasted. Maybe all three. We know this, right? It's a tricky time. And many people, I know, um, I often do, feel confused and unsure and bewildered about what's going on, about what's true, about what's not true about why there seems to be a dumpster fire around every corner you walk around. Anyone? Or why having an engaging, meaningful conversation about complex subjects seems, well, impossible, difficult, elusive, just plain hard. Of course, not everyone feels unsure. Have you noticed this? There seems to be a growing group of people who've decided... Let's just shout louder and speak harshly and demean of anyone who thinks or speaks differently than you, amping up sort of the swagger, the decibels, to an almost deafening tone, which can be very threatening for those of us who don't like that sort of thing. I know. We live in an odd situation where a battle for words has become a war of worldviews. And the lines are being drawn, but then quickly redrawn, At a dizzying speed, you're not sure where in the world the lines even are. Everyone's making these huge truth claims with the loudest ideologue and their latest research being pitted against the other loudest ideologue and their contrasting facts. And who can keep it all straight? Are you having trouble keeping it all straight? (sighs) Well, as followers of Jesus, how are we to understand What is happening? And how are we to engage this cultural, can I call it conversation? Conversation without accepting the various reigning worldviews as authoritative. You know, without accepting the terms necessarily, the assumptions that are being made. How can we do that? How can we wisely discern what is true what is not, while still meeting people where they're at, still engaging them with with love and with grace, still pointing them to Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel that actually calls all cultural philosophies and ideologies to account, to the gospel which casts down any thought or ideology as false wherever they deface human images of God, and wherever they deny the glory that's due to God alone. 
So it's a live question for us. Can we, as apprentices of Jesus, witness among the minefields as we follow our Lord Jesus? Can we do that? And what might happen to us as we let the truth of Jesus actually form us and point to who Jesus is in a culture that is so ideologically foolish and false, but a culture that has infected our minds as well. Well, today's masterclass in Luke is going to help us begin to grapple with these questions in a way that I hope is helpful, but might be surprising. Uh, it won't surprise you that we're not going to be able to answer all the questions I just raised, you know, through a few things out there. That's, of course, part of our ongoing development and growth and, 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 and trying to discern and understand who Jesus is and how this applies to the world around us. But in a very important way, today's encounter that we're looking at in Luke is going to help us drill down on something very basic in our Christian faith and help us discern together why people around us, both outside the church and inside the church, are struggling to figure out what's true, struggling to respond to what's happening. What's more, we're going to find out why sticking with Jesus can be very offensive to everyone, including insiders as well as outsiders. And how sticking with Jesus as the truth can lead to troubling results, even violent rejection. And so we're digging into the Gospel of Luke today. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to lead us. Holy Spirit, we do need you to lead us. We have a lot of things going on in our hearts and minds even now. And so just for a moment, we quieten ourselves. We breathe in, breathe out, (laughs) just settle a little bit and ready our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. And we ask that you would lead us. Help us to see Jesus. Help us respond. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week we saw how Jesus showed up in his hometown synagogue on Sabbath day And then he read from the prophet Isaiah about God's dream of a people who are whole and healed. I'll just pick it up again so we've heard it because it's part of what, this is an ongoing story today. So picking up in Luke 4, 18, this is Jesus reading, but from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. God's dream for human beings fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And God looks at Jesus and sends Jesus, and Jesus now brings God's desired future for a whole and healed humanity into the broken, sinful present. And that explains the ministry of Jesus. 
as he's healing and proclaiming and, and setting people free and announcing the good news, he's actually showing people in the living presence what God desires in the future for all. And we started that uh, last week. And if you missed it, I do encourage you to go back. We have it on YouTube and on the website and on Apple Podcasts. It's all there. Because this week we're continuing in that same story. And we're going to now see the reaction of the hometown crowd to Jesus. And so let's keep going in the passage together, see where it takes us. Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, in verse 21, I'll just overlap slightly. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Isaiah 61 passage. Listen to this. We're going on, uh, verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. It's a city about 20 miles away. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. As they say, that escalated quickly. Right? I mean... From a delightful Sabbath reading of the scripture and everyone speaking well of Jesus to driving him out of town and trying to throw him off a cliff. This is what you call a successful preacher. (laughs) And let me point out something really obvious here in case it missed you. We are not the first people to live in a culture filled with landmines. Jesus lived in a deeply divided, highly polarized, super sensitive culture that was filled with ideological explosives too. One wrong word and boom, dumpster fire. I mean, they tried to push him off a cliff. What do you have to say in church to get pushed off a cliff? I don't want to find out actually. The first thing we need to see is how people are offended by the exclusive claim of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am the one fulfilling God's promise, God's plan, here and now. Jesus said, all of God's dreams for you and the world are being fulfilled in me. (laughs) I mean, at first people were like kind of stoked about Jesus, you know. Jesus is coming to the synagogue today. Woohoo! They'd heard things about their homeboy. They were pretty eager to hear him again. And it seems like they thought they're going to kind of get favored by Jesus, you know. He's ours, right? I mean, we watched this kid grow up. And they were keen to get in on some of the miracle action they'd been hearing about. Jesus had been doing some cool stuff over at Capernaum. Wow, it's going to be even cooler here because he owes us. <laughs> And then Jesus leads 
this, with this audacious claim that Isaiah's big vision, Isaiah's messianic prophecy, was not only about him, that bad enough, not only about him, but is actually being fulfilled in him and through him now. That Jesus was claiming to be the only one through whom God's vision for a whole humanity was being fulfilled. This guy who they'd known all his life. That all other ideas they carried, all other religious or philosophical or ideological attempts to bring God's vision here are being rejected in favor of this one man. This specific son. This Jesus. And so this reaction, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, in Luke, it, it's a little soft until you see Jesus go on with it. But it's important in the parallel stories in Matthew and Luke, it's very clear that this is a snarky question, actually. So you've got to kind of try saying it with me. Say, say, isn't this Joseph's son as snarky as you can? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. you've got to roll up your nose a little bit, you know. Isn't this Joseph's son? You know, isn't this Joseph's son? You've got to try out, you got to try out emphasizing the different words. You've got to get the tone in here. And in Mark and Luke, or Mark and Matthew, if you read it, the tone is really strong because they go on and on and on with it. But Jesus must have picked up the tone here because even though it doesn't stand out to us as obvious at first, Jesus responds to their statement by doing something really unexpected. It's like he picks up on the tone and then he intentionally provokes them to outright hostility. Yes, again, I, I don't, I'd like to follow Jesus in everything, but I try not to do that in my teaching. But Jesus here, he picks up on this. Says, oh, they're a little upset. Let's see if I can get them really upset. And so he doesn't try to soothe them at all. He just riles them right up. When he does this whole, oh, surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you'll do here in your hometown, which no prophet is accepted. All of that is like stoking the fire. Jesus is saying, oh, so you think as hometown insiders, you're going to determine, you know who I am? You're going to tell me what to do? Let me give you a little history lesson, folks, on how outsiders often miss out on what God is doing while the insiders, or the, the outsiders, get in. I said that backwards. How outsiders often, insiders often miss out, but outsiders get in. Blah! Did you get that? First shall be last, that stuff. So then Jesus pulls out two old stories from the history books of First and Second Kings, stories of outsiders who got in on the favor of God while insiders all missed it. And the two stories um, that he talks about here. You can find them and read them out fully. They're great stories. One about a non-Jewish widow who's threatened by starvation, is right in the brink of starvation, and then is saved. And then another about a non-Jewish army commander, uh, opposing army actually, uh, who's suffering from leprosy. And Jesus illustrates um, what he's doing, illustrates the, the, the way he is fulfilling God's dream of good news coming to the poor as well as to the blind, the oppressed, and in the second case, a foreign man who's unclean. He's showing by using these stories, two stories, he's saying something about what he is doing. Because in both these stories, outsiders express true faith in the God of Israel in response to his action in their lives. They're very responsive. 
And as we're going to see in the ministry of Jesus, it's usually the poor and the sick and the, the demonized and the outcasts and the sinners and the tax collectors who come to Jesus, who are responsive to what he's doing, who hear the good news proclaimed and respond in faith, unclean like Naaman or the poor like the widow of Zarephath. While it's often the, quote, righteous, the clean, the religious, the insiders who miss completely what Jesus is doing. And the home crowd does not like this at all. I think when we read it, we think, wow, that's quite a strong reaction to two nice Bible stories. Anyone? Think, how, what, what, you're like, you're like looking in your Bible saying, what, how did that, how did they move from wanting to hear Jesus to wanting to kill him based on those two nice stories? Nobody? It's not shocking at all. You're like, like, there's a lot of things you might get mad about. That's not them. Those stories are not what makes you upset, right? Who gets upset by that story? No one. <laughs> These are good stories. This crowd does not like them. But it actually helps explain something else that's going on, something a little earlier. I didn't draw attention to it last week. You see, when Jesus quoted Isaiah 61, he did something, or rather, didn't do something. See, he quotes from Isaiah 61, but he doesn't finish the quote. He holds himself back. He stops when he says, the, ye- the year proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, which is what everyone wanted. You know, like, yes, absolutely, we want God's favor. Except in Isaiah, the quote goes on to say that the year of God's favor is going to be the day of vengeance, too. And uh, people like this because they kind of like the idea of us getting favor and them getting je- vengeance, right? This, this was a good thing. This is also one of the stories they really liked. But what's interesting, and scholars go back and forth about this, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 61. Think of it. He's reading a scroll. There's not chapters and verses and, oh, the next page. No, no, no. He stopped right at the moment with the Lord's favor, but doesn't say the day of vengeance. Stops there. Okay, that might have been slightly unsettling. Well, now he makes it really unsettling because what he says to them, it draws attention in these two stories, is stories of outsiders who are getting in on favor. But you see, in their worldview, they weren't supposed to be getting in on favor. They're supposed to be getting what was due them. They were supposed to be getting vengeance. Us favor, them vengeance, right? And Jesus flips it around. And instead of it being vengeance on them, favor on us, he says the favor is going out to even those you thought would be getting vengeance. He flips it around. The good news that's coming to the poor, the proclamation of freedom, the setting the oppressed free, this is something that outsiders are going to get in on. And insiders might find themselves on the outside. Well, that really ticked them off. That explains a bit more of why they turned on Jesus so violently. First, they may have been a bit offended by the exclusive claim of Jesus, like, who do you think you are? We saw you in diapers. But now, they're, inf- they're offended by the inclusive plan of Jesus. It's through me, but it's for everyone. I'm the one for everyone. Well, when they finally understood that's what he was doing, that's where they wanted to push him off a cliff. How does this help us today? Well, the first thing we know 
is that Jesus is still the one through whom God's vision for humanity is fulfilled. And that's still offensive. That's actually at the very center of the Christian message that God has revealed himself fully in Jesus Christ so that in order to know God, we have to know Jesus. And that can be a cliche. It can even be on a bumper sticker. You know, the no God, no peace. You know know it. But it's true because God has revealed himself through Jesus. If you want to know who God is, you've got to deal with Jesus. But there's more than just that. And this is also very offensive today. And that is this. God has also revealed humanity in Jesus. The true humanity in Jesus. What it means to be a human being, God has revealed that in the person of Jesus. And God is saying, my plan for humanity, healed and whole and reconciled, that all is only possible through Jesus. This person who sits at the very center of the story. God is revealed through Jesus, but so are we. What we were meant to be, who God desires us to be is revealed through Jesus. And this is where we begin to get some kind of idea or direction why many of the cultural firestorms are happening today. Much of what's being fought about, what's uh, being divided over, railed against, is a version or a vision of humanity that is not centered in the person of Jesus Christ. A vision of a good life for humans that does not find its beginning and its end point in the revealed human who is Jesus. We hear all the time a dream of a healthy society that is flourishing, that is founded on ideologies that do not bow the knee to the risen Christ. And so we see many different ideas and worldviews that are trying to compete with each other over how to arrange their life, their life, over what it means to be a human being, how to flourish as a community. But each and every one of them fail at exactly this point. Their visions of being human without God's best at the center, that is, Jesus. And so as a result, they're not expressing God's vision revealed through Jesus by the Spirit. They're powered by human wisdom, human ambition, human violence, human arrogance, and ultimately human folly. And any suggestion then that worldviews, any worldview, all worldviews must be submitted to Jesus Christ is, let's be honest, met with a bit of offense. But that is what Christians believe. Now, you may call yourself a Christian and not realize that's what Christians believe. And that's actually why I'm drawing your attention to it today because this is important that we recognize this is the central claim of Christianity. This is the central claim of Jesus' followers, that Jesus sits at the very center of everything God has done and is doing. And we have to start and end with him. So allow me a little cultural commentary. We are currently in the midst of a huge struggle over what it means to be male and female. Have you noticed what it means to be a sexual being created in the image of God? And the truth is, and we need to know it, we will not be able to flourish as male and female, single or married, with whatever particular struggles we may have without a clear vision of God's wholeness that has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the starting point and the end goal of what it means to be a human being, male and female, created in the image of God. 
we're at a loss. How to respond as a society to the overwhelming anxiety that is gripping, gripping the hearts and the minds and the bodies of our youth in particular. Although obviously lots of adults too. But I'm thinking of the youth right now. We will not be able to forge ahead without somehow understanding who Jesus is, what he's all about, and the peace he wants to bring to people's lives and hearts and families and minds, that he sits at the very center of that. But so many of the strategies we see and attempts that are made, and I'm not saying they're all bad, but they're misguided without Jesus. We've been grappling with the whole big conversation around racial injustice, both historical and current, trying to figure out what's true, what's not. How do we live in light of that? We cannot do so without Jesus, the true human being at the center of that conversation. His vision of a redeemed, reconciled humanity in all of its multilingual, multi-ethnic reality, hold and healed, without that vision, there will not be a hope of addressing racism or prejudice or moving in the hearts of men and women, moving forward with any kind of hope into the future without Jesus at the center. I'll use some more illustrations. We are completely lost when it comes to navigating current technology. From the rise of AI, I mentioned AI a few months ago in a message, and I know some of you are thinking, AI, why in the world are you talking about artificial intelligence? That is weird. Have you been, like, has anyone noticed what's happened in the last month? Anyone? This whole message was written by ChatGBT. I'm just kidding. I did not write a message with ChatGBT. But I was tempted. <laughs> write a message that would get me thrown off a cliff by the end of the... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there is a ton going on right now with AI that if we're not paying attention, friends... But not just AI. The rise of AI. How much screen time your kids should have is a, how many of you are asking that question right now? Anyone? <laughs> how much screen time I should have? Anyone asking that question? You know, more hands go up, thank you. Um, whether it's that, or whether it's the per- pervasiveness of pornography, whether it's the destructiveness of social media, do you know that they now, studies, I mean, current stuff have shown that the, the effect on the mental health, particularly of young girls, social media is destructive, period. Don't let your girls on social media. Don't let your boys on it either. Make sure they're old enough and you're talking about a life centered in Christ before you touch that stuff. It is like giving your kids gas with a match. That wasn't in my notes. But it's true. <laughs> My friends, unless Jesus is at the very center of our hearts and minds, I'm not saying there are simple answers to this. I am not saying that. These are complex things. These are things we need to wrestle with. The problem is we're often trying to wrestle without them, and Jesus is not even in the equation. The person of Jesus is not even there. We're not letting our minds and our hearts be infused with the the human that God has revealed ourselves in 
so that we can get a glimpse of what he hopes for us. We're trying to grapple with, these, with all of these stopgap measures often founded on thoughts and worldviews that aren't even Christian, let alone Jesus-centered. Well, I offer some of these samples to you just to illustrate the point. The world cannot lead us to life, will not give us wisdom, will not help us flourish, has not brought us peace, not ever. Only Jesus can, only Jesus will. And that's a message that challenges not only outsiders, but insiders as well. Because the truth is, many of our collective thoughts, you and I sitting right here, our thoughts about transgender, our thoughts about sexuality, our thoughts about gun violence, our thoughts about technology, our thoughts about anxiety, our thoughts about racism, our thoughts about marriage, our thoughts about words, our thoughts about work, our thoughts about money, have been shaped far more by a Christless worldview than by the person of Jesus himself. And if that's true for us, as followers of Jesus, at least most of us are, some of us are still working with this, and I hope this helps you today, how much more true is it of the world around us? Jesus is the one and only person through whom God has not only revealed himself, but has revealed his dream for us too. And it's only through Jesus and only in Jesus that we'll be able to respond. I have a hope of responding to the foolish destructiveness that we see around us today. But more than that, of casting a vision of God's wholeness, of God's healing, of a life lived with actual peace and joy and love. But there's something else I think you need to see before we finish. Because... It's not just the exclusive claim of Jesus that's offensive, both inside and outside the church. It's also the inclusive claim, too. Because it's not just that Jesus is the only one. The claim that Christianity makes is that Jesus is the only one for everyone. It it, it busts up against that boundary that we all carry about, well, you know, I don't want to impose my idea on others. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, Act as though, I mean, hey, what do I know? Nothing. And, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, you do you and I'll do me and we'll all just get along. But actually, God's vision for humans is for everyone. It's for every man, woman, and child out there, no matter where they are. Technology. And our message is to share the good news of Jesus, which includes his vision for wholeness, his vision for healing, his vision that people would actually discover there's not only a God who loves them, but a God who has this plan and this dream for them, which transforms everything, which moves them out of a place of chaos and hurt and wounds and confusion, destruction, and moves them into life. But to say it's for everyone is in itself offensive today to insiders and to outsiders. Because we're saying this is a universal truth. You don't have to believe it, but buddy, it applies to you too. In the time of Jesus, the idea that outsiders would be included were really offensive to the insiders. I mean, they wanted them to be judged, not included. And the offensiveness today can take on a variety of, of things today. Some of them, you know, religious insiders still don't like the fact that the outsiders are getting in. Let's be honest, right? Who invited that guy? I mean, God's grace goes to here, but not, you know, right? Religious insiders still struggle with that. The fact that God's grace, like, includes them. Ouch. But also, 
we're also in a culture that basically says, how dare you say that your truth is true for me? How dare you? How offensive can you be? And you get accused, even if you are loving, even if you are gentle, even if you are kind, even if you're like me and you do not like friction at all, you get accused of being arrogant and coercive and manipulative if you dare say this is true for you. Both the good and the hard. And so, Jesus leads us today to a place where we're asking some key questions. What are they? I think there's two. I call them the apprenticeship notes because I'm looking at you all as apprentices today. Another word for disciple. An apprentice who says this teaching of Jesus and this life of Jesus has something to say to how I live my life. So your apprenticeship notes, the first one is about rejection. Our rejection. Jesus was willing to not be liked even by those who knew him best, his hometown crowd. And he pushes them, actually, in a way that provokes a violent reaction. Some of you aren't very agreeable. You don't care. I know. Jesus has other things he's working with you on. But some of us like to be liked. And so we look at a story like this and we think, no, Jesus, no, please, no. And I'm forced to ask the question, am I more worried about what people think of me or whether they like me or whether they, they think I'm smart than actually what they hear about Jesus? Than actually about the truth of what God has for us as human beings? And it may not be that you care about being liked. But maybe you do care about looking dumb. Right? Some of you don't really care if the person likes you, but it kind of bugs you if they think you're an idiot. Anyone? Yes. I don't like looking like an idiot either. The truth is rejection can come in a lot of forms. And at the, at the heart, not the heart, but at the start of the story, we're, we're kind of challenged to say, Jesus, if I'm going to place you at the very center of my life and my thoughts and my worldview, if I'm going to say you are the one who expresses the perfect plan of God for humans, and I'm going to live into that, I don't know all that it means for all of these various social and political and relational things that are going on around me and in my life, but I'm going to trust that you're at the center of that and believe that as I do, And as I live with love for those around me, and as I trust my life to you, it does not mean people are going to like it. It does not mean people are going to think you're smart or good. In fact, we're at a time today, it's so interesting, we're at a time today that to uphold what is good and loving can be deemed immoral by our own friends and family. You know that, right? And so we have to deal with our rejection. Some of us don't like that. I don't like that. I confess. I do not like to be rejected. And yet Jesus calls me to follow him and says, look, I want you to love people passionately. I want you to, I want you to have such compassion for people that you're praying for them with tears. But as you point them to me and you lead them to me and you love your neighbor sacrificially, you need to know that you can do everything right and people still hate you for it. Because Jesus, they tried to push him off a cliff for crying out loud after giving a pretty good sermon, I thought. (laughs) Am I willing to love people over being liked? That's the first question. We've got to grapple with that. And um, you might want to take that into a conversation this week with a friend, with a spiritual friend, with a spouse. 
what is it about this rejection thing? Or what is it about looking dumb? Or, or what is it about not having someone look down their nose because you're such a dummy following Jesus? What is it about that in me that I need to grapple with so that I can truly say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to love others. I'm going to speak the truth. And come what may, I'm yours. Some of us really need to grapple with that. But the second highlight for our apprenticeship notes is about our responsibility. First one's about our rejection. Second one's about our responsibility. Listen, if Jesus isn't occupying the very center of our thinking and our response, then whatever we think or do is doomed to fail because it's missing the very thing that God says will bring life. God's dream for us has been revealed in Jesus. So if you miss Jesus, you miss what God desires. Which means that whatever particular string you're struggling with, and it could have been some of the things I mentioned today. It could be something deeply personal. It could be some conflict that's going on in your, in your life between you and a kid or you and a spouse or you and a neighbor. It could be some big political or social thing that's happening. It could be something... In, deep within mental health for you. I don't know. But what I do know is this. We must. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm using the word must. Must be letting this man, Jesus, God's Messiah, occupy the very center of your heart, your mind, your grappling, your thinking, your prayer, your processing, taking in what you're taking in and filtering it through the person of Jesus and what has been revealed through his word. So that what we think and say and how we respond and pray to whatever question we're grappling with, to whatever dumpster fire is going on around the corner, whatever response we make comes from Jesus at the very center, that he is the key to life. Thank you. Which means, as apprentices of Jesus, we got to keep going back to square one. We have to be getting to know Jesus. We have to be letting his life and his person and his words fill our hearts and our minds regularly. We need to stop drinking from the poison wells of social media or news feeds or this and that ideologue. There's plenty of them. Line them up. I don't care where on the political spectrum you can find idiots everywhere. Lord Jesus, forgive me for being dismissive. But you can find them. But we stop drinking from those and we say, let our minds be renewed by the truth of Jesus in his word so that we can begin to hear and see humanity through the light of Christ, the way that God intended. And we need to say as apprentices of Jesus, this is first and foremost. That means subjecting all of our ideas. And we've got plenty and plenty of them are wrong. Ideas about this and that and name the other thing. We've got to be willing to go back to square one and say, Jesus, I need you to reteach me everything here. I've accepted ideologies and assumptions that are Christless, that come from the enemy or his tools. And I need to go back to square one. I need to set aside what I've thought, what I've believed what I've assumed, and come back to Jesus as the very center and take every thought captive to Jesus so that we can, allow me to read from, as I'm closing, I am closing, from 2 Corinthians here, chapter 10. These words of Paul are so key for us as we consider this. For though we live in the world, 
We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me read that last verse. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And the call for us as apprentices is to do just that. Because the truth is, many of our thoughts are not obedient to Christ. They haven't been taken captive themselves. And that's a hard thing to hear, I know. But I'm telling you as your pastor now, that some of the most distressing moments of my life particularly in the last few years, has been when followers of Jesus espouse foolish worldviews that have not been submitted to Christ. When you say things, believe things, even promote things that are so clearly not centered in Jesus, so clearly removed from the person that God has revealed ourselves in, I say that because it's a huge burden on my heart that I pray for. But I don't say that to be judgy. I'm recognizing in my own life there are thoughts and patterns and things that I've just assumed are true, but they haven't been submitted to Jesus. And I'm challenged to go back to Jesus and say, strip me down here. Like, take this stuff away. Help me see what you desire, what you are wanting for us and for the world through Jesus Christ. And it's our responsibility then, as apprentices of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, to submit ourselves to him and let his vision lead us forward. It doesn't mean there are easy, snap, simple answers to all this stuff. Obviously there's not. And I don't have the answer to all those things I mentioned. I certainly don't. You can stop wanting to throw me off a cliff now. What I do know is this. We've got to take Jesus seriously and let his life shape our response. That's the call. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus is the only one for everyone. Are we willing to submit our thinking and our lives to him and let him lead us forward? Because at the end of the day, friends, it's not about just fighting people online. Oh, I hope not. It's not about even having these weird, difficult conversations. Or It's not even about, frankly, uh, it's not just about addressing terribly destructive things. It's about actually showing the world, the church, that God has this amazing dream for people. And people are so hurt and they're so destroyed and they're so ridden down and they're so stomped on and they're so confused about who they are and who God is and what life's supposed to be like. And what God is calling us to do is say, I have a vision for them. I have a beautiful dream for them. 
And I want them to know that there's a God who created them, who loves them, who sets them up to live this flourishing life. And I sent my son to accomplish it. And I've sent the Holy Spirit to make it happen. And I've now empowered the church so that they can live out in the present, the future, all that stuff. It's about showing the world that there is a big God who has a big vision for a whole and healed humanity. And that's what it's all about. And the call of the Holy Spirit on our lives is to follow Jesus into that. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the very center of all that your Father has done and is doing in the world. And we acknowledge, we repent of ways we have missed that, forgotten that, ignored that, or set that aside. Jesus, we come back to you this morning and declare that you are the only one through whom life and freedom, forgiveness, and joy, healing and wholeness can come. You and you alone. We pray very specifically, Lord, that you would renew our minds. For each one of us here today or gathered online who are followers of you, Jesus, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us the places in our minds where we have not actually made our thoughts, our arguments, our assumptions obedient to you. You would reveal that to us. And you would help us in humility Come under your leadership. Submit to you and let you grow us. For all those who are gathered today who have not yet committed to following you, Jesus, who are testing things out and unsure, I pray very specifically for each one of them today that they would capture and see that there is a God who loves them and has a plan for the world that will outstrip every other plan that's out there. And may they feel the invitation of your Holy Spirit to follow Jesus today. Lord, we love you. In our frailty and in our weakness, we confess we need you. You are the one who is the center of all. We pray this together. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.